This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Tim from Semper Reformanda Radio. I'm here with my sidekick, Liam. Say hi. You got to talk into the mic. Hi. All right. So. He's going to help me out today with our drawing, and I want to say thank you to Doug Dalma, who uh, gave us all the Clark books, and then uh, Semper Reformanda Radio is providing the book by Doug Dalma. It's a signed copy. So we had about 20, about 20, I think it was right at 20, 20 people who shared the post and participated in the drawing. So let me just go ahead and show everybody again. It's, uh, it's a signed copy of The Presbyterian Philosopher. And then we have all the other books are by Gordon Clark. So, Liam, what do you think this book is about right here? Daniel. <laughs> so, Liam thinks uh, this book is about Daniel. That's uh, proof that he's uh, learning how to read because this book is about Colossians, but he's familiar with, uh, you familiar with uh, Daniel and the Tiger? Uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den? He was thrown in the Lion's Den? Yeah? All right. So... Um, then we have a uh, Lord God of Truth. Uh, this one right here. We have uh, Gordon Clark's personal collection, personal recollections. We have language and theology. We have the incarnation. Uh, we have uh, his book on Philippians, and we have the atonement. So we're going to give all of these away right now to, uh, to somebody who shared shared our last podcast. And uh, Liam's going to help me with drawing out the names. Liam, can you go ahead and pick? You got to pick one. Just pick one, okay? Don't pick up two, because then we'll be in trouble. Oh, you picked up two. Wait, 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 wait. All right. So here, close your eyes. Put one of them back in. What? <laughs> all right. See, that's all right. So that's the one you're drawing out. He can't read, by the way, and I can't see it yet. All right. Okay. So. All right, so these books are going to be going to Ryan Dozier. I <laughs> that's a uh, that's that's perfect. All right, so congratulations to Ryan. You are the winner, and uh, sorry to everybody else, but you know it's God's sovereign. So let's just uh, be happy for Ryan. In light of God's sovereignty, he won. So maybe Ryan, maybe Ryan, maybe you need this man. Uh, maybe you need these books. Now, Ryan's a good guy. He's already very familiar with Clark. I know that he's uh, he calls himself a uh, Clarktillian or maybe a frame uh, Framand because uh, he I think he holds to uh, Robert Raymond and John Frame's views. So anyways, uh, Ryan, congratulations. And uh, again, thank you to everybody else. Sorry, Andrew, Andre Rapchapoot. You did not win. All right. Uh, all right. Thanks, guys. Bye.
I, I do a podcast. I'm not, I'm not interested in your podcast. But these are these are wolves. Truth be told, I, I oftentimes lay awake at night trying to figure out how I can get rid of wolves in the church. We are unabashedly, unashamedly Clarkian. And so the next few statements that I'm going to make, I'm probably going to step on all of the Vantillian toes at the same time. And this is what we do at Simple Reform on the radio, you know. We are polemical and polarizing Jesus-style. I would first say that to characterize what we do as fashion is itself fashion. It's not hate, it's history, it's not fashion, it's the Bible. Jesus said, Woe to you when men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way, as opposed to blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It is on. We're taking the gloves off. It's time to battle. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Semper Reformanda Radio. My name is Tim, and I am here with my other co-host, Carlos Montijo. I think Joseph was uh, supposed to be here. Uh, he got the memo, but I don't know what happened to him, so he may pop in, and uh, or we're hoping he does. If he doesn't, then, well, that's fine. Um, so, Carlos, what do you think of the new intro that I put together? Yeah, that's that's the like the rebirth of Semper Reformanda Radio. It is awesome. I it's like a it's like inspirational music for me. Hopefully people liked it and and enjoy it. Obviously it's it's polarizing, needless to say, but um, that's what we do here. So we just try to draw the line where we see it, drawn in the Bible, and and tell tell people the side that God is on. So. Um, yeah, I know we have a lot to catch up on, and there's just a lot of, I think this might be a little bit of a catch-all episode, but the reason I mentioned it was kind of like a rebirth episode is because we kind of started off a little late in, um, well, when we started doing some Peripheramanda, we just sort of like started guns blazing, uh, doing shows right away without really defining who we are, and uh, I think we're finally starting to do that m more clearly now. Uh, ever since the last episode, especially, and and I think this one as well, because we're going to take a very strong stand against uh, uh, Hank Hanegraaff's uh, decision to uh, apostatize from from Christianity. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the discussion, and we're going to talk about a lot of some pretty controversial stuff. So stay tuned. Yeah, we we uh, I'm kind of nervous about this episode because uh, we're we're jumping in the fire but uh let me also uh mention this you recently published an article on the oh, bible right. thumping wingnut uh facebook uh web page that i sort of want you to talk about and it has to do with the the shack and i've never read the shack i don't know anything about it i've uh read your article but go ahead and tell tell us a little bit about that. I want to encourage people to to check out that article. If uh, you have friends who are still endorsing the shack, are wanting to get some information on it, because you actually 
from what I could see is you you actually dig into the content of the shack, the theological content, and uh, give a pretty handed review of it. So, uh, yeah. So what happened with that review? That's actually a um, that was uh, adapted, somewhat adapted from a, a paper I wrote back in college. Uh, I think in 2010 or something, or, or a little bit around that time. And it was for like a religious studies class. And um, so I got the book. I don't know how I got the book, um, but um, I read I read through it, and it was just it was pretty nauseating, uh, just how the how blasphemous and heretical and it's really hard to 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 have to you know sit and read through all that, but yeah, I, this is what tends to happen with people who do podcasts or people who like to listen to podcasts. Um, what happens a lot of times is that people don't really get into the meat of things, and it's very easy to um, you just kind of start operating off of hearsay and opinion, and you get you're you you just start giving opinions without really substantiating your claims, and so. Uh, what we like to do at Semper Reform on the radio is actually provide you quotations, sources. We we like to give you the sources and and cite them and and discuss them, so that um, you can have a well-informed and well-equipped decision. And so that's what we decided to do because a lot of the resources that I was seeing are just basically a compilation of other resources and kind of references to other, you know, pastors or people critiquing the 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 book. But I, I haven't really seen anything at least from, from our uh, network that's actually trying to, to get into the book and see what it actually says. And so that's what I set out to do. I set out to basically just critique it uh, biblically and uh, provide all of the relevant quotations that I could find that were most troubling or most problematic. There was more. I mean, there was a lot more, but I, this was basically the, the about the worst that I could find. And so... Yeah, the, the the it's an awful book. It's an absolutely horrendous book. It, it just the fact that it, it markets itself as a Christian book for Christians, at, or I guess for you know people who might be uh, curious about. It's not necessarily just for Christians, but the, it's it's obviously promoting itself as a Christian uh, book. And uh, the fact that you have Christians like uh, you, well, you know, I don't know if it depends. <laughs> The professing Christians like, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson, you know, the author of the Message Bible. You have even Kent Hovind, uh, not somebody who you would expect uh, coming from an independent, you know, fundamentalist King James only perspective. That's just very odd coming from a from a perspective like that, that he would endorse that book. He said he read it when he was in prison and he liked it. And so um, there's a lot of uh, CBN. I quote an article from CBN that also endorses the book and. Uh, so a lot of people are being misled by this and, and kind of saying, well, you know, it's a good fictional novel. It's just fiction, but it's using, you know, the story to, to, to try to explain certain things about God. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the problem, though, because the, the way you do that can contradict the Bible. And the way he does that in the shack completely blatantly contradicts and disregards the Bible. So I encourage people to look at that, take a look at that. So you can find uh, actual quotations from the book. Um, I try to quote them in context as much as possible, describing all the different errors and heresies. And um, yeah, but there's all kinds of errors in that book. I and mean, there's just all kinds of wild heresies that there, we don't even have names for yet. So 
uh, it, it's it's just amazing that we're at the point where a book that's so blatantly blasphemous and and heretical calls itself a Christian book and Christians actually like it you know when back at our old church when I when I we were like at a house cleaning sale or something people were getting rid of some books and the shack was there and one of the I guess elders of the church uh, saw it and he was like oh look it's a shack this was a good book and I was like what that's like that's all he said and so I was pretty shocked that, that that was all he said it was a good book and I was just like oh man that that really troubled me I mean we're no longer at the church anymore and that's you know it's that was just a symptom of the many problems that that church had but um, yeah this this really the movie I haven't seen the movie and I don't really plan to but I'm sure it's not much better um, so yeah just people need to be careful with that stuff and uh, check out the article I also have a lot of resources that I refer people to that were very helpful uh, especially Paul Flynn and uh, uh, what's his name Michael Youssef I think he has a good sermon uh, and I think an article exposing some of the heresies in the book as well yeah well going back to the the new intro that we have I, I think that it really defines who we are uh, like you said and one of the things that uh, I quoted was you saying that we are polemical and we are polarizing Jesus style and we we of course are doing this because we care about people and we actually if you if you care about the truth and, and you care about people receiving the truth and you should have no problem with with any of this stuff but today we're going to be talking about Hank Hanegraaff we're going to be talking about pulpit and pen we're going to be talking about James White um, and before everybody gets I, I can see a lot of people just sitting back in their chairs going uh-oh Semper Reformanda is really gonna step in at this time but let me start off with this we love James White we love JD Hall we love uh, both of their ministries uh, as a matter of fact Carlos you have a lot to owe to James White because he pulled you out of the God used him to pull you out of the King James onlyism uh, cult when you first uh, became a Christian is that right yeah well I uh... I'm, de I'm very deeply indebted to James White. Um, he's one of the few people that actually <clears throat> uh, takes the time to actually uh, debate other cults and sub-Christian groups that um, can really sweep people off their off their uh, their faith very easily, especially new believers and people who are not that familiar with the Bible. And so, uh, I owe James White two big things it's not just the fact that he 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 led me out of uh, King James onlyism I read his book and it really helped me kind of balance out my 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 extreme views and he also helped me introduce me to Calvinism in a positive light because uh, King James only is typically are very uh, very anti-Calvinist uh, to and to a large extent rabidly anti-Calvinist and so it was uh, thanks to his ministry that I became a uh, Calvinist and uh, and a more balanced uh, Christian that that is not so uh, with irrational views of textual criticism so 
yeah, we definitely love James White. I, I listen to he's one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to. I mean, I really appreciate his his work. Yeah. And uh, and the same thing goes for J.D. Hall. Uh, we very much respect J.D. Hall. He's he's also Reformed Baptist. Um, I, and, you know, here's the thing. If you're not disagreeing with somebody somewhere, then you're just probably not being a Berean. So these guys, uh, we hold them in, in high, high regard. Um, now, we know that there are some disagreements going on between Alpha and Omega Ministries and Pulpit and Pen, and uh, some of that has to do with a post that was, that was put up by a guy named uh, Tom, Tom Buck. Now, uh, here's, here's what I'm going to say about that right now is we are not going to talk about that. We are not going to get involved on in that. Uh, there's an important update from, I, I, I believe it would be Tom Buck, uh, on April 28th, 2017. And hopefully uh, this doesn't change and, and things continue to go in the direction that they're going by the time that this episode is released. But it says, due to recent developments, I will not be commenting in any public forum regarding the situation described in the below post for the time being. Circumstances have, have arisen that give hope for a biblical and godly outcome. So praise God for that. I am requesting that all those involved would also no longer comment on this situation in any public forum, including open or closed groups on Facebook. And as we've said before, we think that Facebook can be a nightmare. Um, so during this, he continues, during this time, any comments made on this site regarding this topic will be deleted by the administrator. Thank you, and please be in prayer for a godly and peaceful resolution to this difficult situation, Tom Buck. So, yeah, it was written by Tom Buck. So we, we want to honor that, okay? We we want to honor that. Uh, if you uh, post any comments about that whole situation, we're, we're just going to flat out ignore you. Uh, we want to honor that. We want to encourage everybody else to, to pray about the situation. We're very encouraged that... Uh, that you know, Tom said that there's a, a peaceful resolution underway. That uh, there, there's hope for that. So uh, that's that's what we have to say about that. And we're not interested in in furthering any gossip. We're not interested in being fanboys. Like I said, we would probably we we would disagree with uh, both of these guys on on something. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I am in no position to take either of them on theologically. Uh, Dr. White would wipe the floor with us. Uh, so would J.D. Hall. So we just we have a lot of respect for these guys, and that's where we stand. But the purpose of this episode is really to just discuss the way that we should view Hank Canagraph. And, and we want to sort of come out and, and stand behind pulpit and pen. We, we've talked about this uh, with the members of our podcast that we agree with the way that Pulpit and Pen has addressed this issue. And I mean, that I, I suppose that that means that we're going to be sticking our neck out there, but we're provoked by everything that we've seen with Hank Kennegraff. And as a matter of fact, we I, I'll admit, I heard about the whole situation through the article that Jeff Maples wrote. I had no idea that any of this was underway that any of this was going on. I stopped listening to the Bible Answer Man a couple of years ago, and that was just simply because of my job. 
I go in at an odd time. And so the radio station that uh, I don't have a radio at home, an AM FM radio at home, uh, believe it or not, I, I just listen to stuff online. And if I'm not in my car, then I'm missing it. And I'm just, you know, because of my job and, and the, the hours that I go in, I'm just never in the car when the Bible Answer Man comes on the radio. But since then, uh, I've, I've been kind of following it and I've, I've seen a lot of Christians sort of buckle under the, the task of, of being polemical. And it's surprised me that Pulpit and Pen has taken so much heat for, for the Hank Hanegraaff stuff. And so, okay, so, so first, let's do this. Hank Hanegraaff has, has come out and written an article, and he, he, he read this article on his show, you know, Have I Left the Christian Faith? And so let me read some points from the article and then, uh, or as a matter of fact, if you would like to read this article, that would be helpful. And then I will play a couple of clips from Hank Hanegraaff because as a lot of people know, um, I, I, I did call into the show and I asked him about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. If he, if he held to it, he cut me off. I, I, I got really nervous, like I said before, because I was thinking this is national radio. It's live and I have no control over this conversation. And I was, so I started rambling. I was trying to get everything out. I asked him, you know, if I could respond to him after he said something. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Naive me, he just cut me off and uh, didn't even answer my question. And uh, James White pointed out that, you know, it's an up or down question. You know, do you hold to the doctrine of justification by faith alone? It's an up or down question. And, let me just say this, is we don't want to rehash everything that's already been said. We want to sort of come at this from a different angle. And we're going to be reading an article from the Trinity Foundation titled Why Heretics Win Battles. And what we want to do is we want to just talk about how we think that Christians should respond to a situation like this. So, Carlos, are you with me on that? Is that pretty much the goal of, of what we're doing here? Yeah, Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and, and read uh, the article. Or, you know what? Did you pull up the show notes? Because I can just read it myself. I'll read it. Uh, so Hank Hennegraaff posted something, and uh, here's what it's what he said. Through Christian Research Institute staff and friends, I've become aware of the chatter on the Internet, the gist of which is that I've walked away from the Christian faith. Amid Holy Week, I pray that those forwarding this notion may have an ever deeper encounter with our crucified and resurrected Lord. May they and their loved ones be blessed and their faith strengthened. If I have caused any to stumble, I humbly ask forgiveness. My purpose in this post is not uh, so much to respond, but to reassure. <clears throat> As I have never been more in love with my wife and family, so too I have never been more in love with the Lord Jesus and his body, the church. As such, I confess my faith in the deity of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, Light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father, through whom all things were made. I believe that's the that's the uh, Nicene Creed or one of the one of the historic creeds. Uh, I affirm the doctrine of original sin. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because of all sin. Romans 5:12. I am deeply committed to the Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. 1 Timothy 3:15. And to the Holy Scriptures, the only infallible repository of redemptive revelation. 2 Timothy 3.15-16 3, 
I love the Holy Trinity, one God revealed in three persons eternally distinct, and I'm deeply grateful to that the true and living God invites us to participate in the loving relationships that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed throughout eternity. I hold the glorious reality that Jesus rose on the third day according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I am grateful to the Lord Jesus who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. Became man. That's another historic creed, I think. I thank God daily that I am a new creation in Christ, for by grace I have been saved through faith, and that not of myself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest I should boast. For we are his working for we are his workmanship and created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians two eight through ten. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. <clears throat> While there are many secondary uh, issues, genuine believers will continue to debate this side of eternity. I have and will always champion what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. In essentials, unity. Uh, Non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Hank Hanegraaff, Holy Week 2017. All right. Well, thank you for, for reading that. Now, um, it sounds like the, the last point, I thank God that... I thank God daily that I am a new creation in Christ, and then it sounds like he's uh, he's rejecting that works have anything to do with our salvation. He says, for by grace I have been saved through faith, and that not of myself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest I should boast. Um, and then, so then he quotes Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So let, let, me, uh, let me go ahead and play a couple of uh, clips from uh, recent episodes within the last few weeks of Hank Hanegraaff and we can we can just talk about this afterwards so let me go ahead and play these clips I want to mention just a few things before we go to our callers again the number triple eight ask Hank the first of which is that many are by God's grace joining CRI's support team so today I personalized uh, copies of the complete Bible answer book and other books that I've written to people like Deanna in Issaquah, Washington, who is giving $10 a month, and David in Westlake, Michigan, who's giving uh, $25 a month, and Mary in Glenshaw, Pennsylvania, $50 a month, and Amber in Nebraska, $50 a month, Mary in Kansas, $20 a month, Lori in Kansas, $50 a month, and the list goes on. My apologies for excluding in the sake of uh, or in the interest of time, many of those who are are joining CRI's monthly support team. And, and when you do, of course, what I do is I. All right. So let, let me just go ahead and comment on why I played that. You know, he's just talking about his supporters because a lot of people in, in talking about Hank Hanegraaff, they're talking about being charitable. They're talking about they're, they're concerned for Hank. But we should also be concerned about the fact that Hank has a platform and we should also be concerned about all of those people that he just mentioned. And not only those people, I mean, obviously those people are devoted to him if they are supporting his ministry financially, but he does have a national radio program and, you know, he's, he's listing off, you know, Diana, Amber, Mary twice, uh, two Marys, uh, Lori. Uh, so, you know, we're concerned about Hank, but we're also concerned about the people that he is quite possibly leading astray, the people that he is that he's 
feeding false doctrine to that he's just he, he's directing towards Roman Catholicism or he's directing towards Eastern Orthodoxy because he affirms Roman Catholicism as as a system he, he affirms Roman Catholicism as a as a true manifestation of Christianity and that is unbelievably problematic so uh, let's go ahead and continue with that you know I hope that everybody can just bear with that because that was to illustrate look it's not just about Hank it's and, and you know I, I believe Todd Friel um, he in, in his critique he did say you know to uh, call the radio stations and and you know, voice your concern or something like that so I, I mean people are I'm sure concerned about this but when I think about a false teacher or somebody who's directing somebody to a false teacher and has a major platform in my mind I'm always thinking first and foremost about those people that are being deceived and that that are maybe just unfamiliar with these things or you know new Christians or whatever and they are being deceived and they're being pointed in the direction of Rome they're being pointed into the direction of uh, of of something like Greek Orthodoxy because I've done a radio show talking about my family I have a lot of family members who are Roman Catholic I Carlos and I live in a city that is saturated with false teaching false doctrine and this this has a potential to deceive thousands and thousands of people and so like Carlos said you know in, in the introduction to our, our show you know it's time to battle the gloves are coming off it's time to battle and we're, we're battling for truth and and I do care about Hank Hanegraaff I am concerned about him but I, I don't hold him as one who's ignorant obviously I think that he did get duped but I don't think that he's he's innocent in this I don't think that he's ignorant so um, let's let's finish playing that clip I want to start the program with something and then again we'll go right to your calls Triple A to ask Hank uh, and that has to do with salvation. I've been asked a lot with respect to works and faith. Uh, how are we supposed to view this? Uh, I, I talked about the Eastern Orthodox tradition. They don't see a dichotomy between faith and works. But, but, but I thought it might be important for me to go back to what the Bible says, uh, particularly to what James says when he teaches that we are saved not by works, but by the kind of faith that produces good works. Uh, you remember his infamous words. I mean, they're, they're, they're words that uh, some have taken to be very, very bad words. Uh, some have called this an epistle of straw because of these words. But James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Of course, the answer is an emphatic no, because as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, you might think that these are my words. No, these are simply the reiteration of the words of James. I think it's verse 26. And then when he says that a person is not justified by faith alone, uh, what he's meaning to communicate is that a person is not justified by mental assent alone. And therefore he says, show me your faith without deeds 
and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. In other words, what James is saying here is that demons believe in the sense of giving uh, mental assent to the fact that there is only one true God, and all the while they fail to place their hope and trust in him. Cash that out a little bit. Remember that true saving faith is not only having knowledge or agreeing that the knowledge that you have is correct, but it is trusting in Jesus Christ alone, becoming an active participant in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And while James said that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, and then you read Paul saying that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, uh, you don't have to for a moment think that their words are in some kind of conflict. These words are in complete harmony. Uh, James was countering the false assertion that a said faith is a substitute, um, uh, he's countering this this, this false assertion, and I want to make real emphasis on that word false, that's the operative word. He's countering the false assertion that a said faith is a substitute for a saving faith. And uh, while Paul was countering on the other hand, the uh, the equally fallacious notion that salvation can be earned by observing the law. And, and remember, even the Reformers uh, used to say that justification is not by faith alone. Uh, excuse me, they, they, they said that justification is by faith alone, but, but, but not by the kind of faith that is alone. Uh, that little mantra uh, sometimes get, gets mixed up in my mind. But again, the Reformers uh, used to say faith... Uh, justification is, is, is by faith alone, but again, not by the kind of faith uh, that is alone. Um, there, there's a whole lot more that could be said. Uh, you know, when we talk about sola fide as a technical theological term, it assumes a whole litany of concepts, kind of like the Trinity. So we don't want to speak in a way that uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We want to speak in a way that's thoroughly biblical, test all things in light of Scripture, uh, hold fast to that which is good. Okay. So uh, basically, you know, as you heard, he said that he was uh, asked to speak on the the doctrine of salvation and justification by faith alone. And and so uh, from what it sounds like, he is affirming the, uh, the Christian... The, the Protestant Christian position. Uh, I, you know, I think that he, he got some things wrong in, in what he said, but uh, Carlos, do you have any thoughts on, on any of that? Yeah, well, what actually struck me more was um, the, the, what I read earlier, because he's very clearly holding to uh, a sound understanding of the gospel. And um, that he has some misguided notions about, he's using a lot of misguided notions about um, like the definition of faith and um, things like that to, so, and mere, the concept of mere Christianity, which we've criticized a lot in, in a, a few of our episodes. And in order to justify his, uh, his position or his joining the, the Greek Orthodox Church, but I can see why this is a difficult 
situation because I, I this is the first time I read this and he's being very clear at least he's making it very clear that he's professing to believe in uh, you know justification by faith alone and so on and so forth so that does complicate things a little bit more even though the fact that he you know saying that this bare mental assent or however he phrased it and this concept of mere Christianity is will eventually uh, lead to his downfall if he keeps going in that direction because um, again that's that's why and I've, I've brought this up before when when C.S. Lewis wrote mere Christianity he did not exclude the Roman Catholic Church he included the the, the Roman Catholic Church in there because mere Christianity for him according to him and according to even the historic creeds do not include a definition a biblical definition of justification by faith alone and so um, that's just one of the many problems with those, you know, uh, uh, holding to this mere Christianity and just sort of this bare, minimal set of, 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 of doctrines from the early historic creeds. Those early historic creeds are so, a lot of those are so vague and, and uh, general that, that, are, that they're, they're really not useful. They're not useful for, for much of anything in, in, if you're talking about defining Christianity because they're so minimal that the Roman Catholic Church affirms them. And as Protestants, we rightly identify the Roman Catholic Church as an apostate, you know, institution that has condemned itself by condemning the gospel uh, officially in the Council of Trent. And so um, that's a very dangerous position that he is putting himself in. It, it sounds like he's going to start speaking out of both you know with a forked tongue because it's like he's trying he's he's essentially trying to have his cake and eat it too and this is it's impossible you can't serve two masters and you can't you can't be you can't join an institution or a church that does not affirm what he claims to affirm because they don't hold to that and I, it's funny because i just looked at the website for the church that he that he joined and they have no no statement of faith they have nothing on here that indicates what they believe I mean it's just so but I did find something else that uh, I was gonna read but uh, I guess we can talk about it later did you were you gonna play something else yeah I did want to say a little bit more about that because you know one of the things that I want to point out one of the things that I want to try to illustrate is that many times somebody who affirms an organization or institution that we would say is antichrist, that we would say is blasphemous, that we would say is not Christian but heretical, will also say things that are very correct. And it's it's very difficult to, to nail them down on where they actually stand. And we hear, we hear people who identify themselves in these organizations say things that sound very, very Christian and very right. So I want to play another clip for you, Carlos, and this is just to illustrate a point that we need to we need to take this a little bit further. We need to we can't just leave this here. We can't just we we cannot be satisfied with what we just heard. And let me go ahead and play this. This is a uh, Glenn Beck. This is a uh, he did a Facebook Live video, and I just want to play a, a little portion of it. He's talking about how his kids were not accepted into a Christian school. And um, let me go ahead and play this for you, okay? Hey, I am just uh, just got a call from my wife. Um, I'm just about to have lunch in the 
dressing room before we do a show today. And uh, my wife called and said, uh, well, the school that we had our kids uh, ready to enroll in that we were very excited about um, has um, uh, co just called and said that um, they're not allowed to uh, join. They just think it's for the best because they don't know what other parents will say and um, you know, uh, they just really can't have any Mormons in this um, Christian school. And we've already gone through this once with another school, and I um, excused that other school because it was a covenant Christian school. And so the, the covenant is with the church of each child, and I, I was fine with that because it made sense. It was um, hurtful, and we were... Um, upset about it, but I could deal with it. This school we went to, uh, and I talked to the headmaster, I talked to the founder and the headmaster, and uh, they uh, said, oh my gosh, no, we, I mean, we wouldn't take a Buddhist because it, the foundational, it is just too different, um, and we think we would confuse the child, but a Jewish child we would take, uh, you know, people of all Christian faiths, uh, but apparently <clears throat> Mormons just aren't um, Christian enough. And I am sick and tired of this. Um, I, 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 I mean, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. By his grace, I have been saved. I said to them uh, at both places, and by the way, the one that just called us said it wasn't a problem until it started getting out that my children would be joining, apparently. And then the, um, I guess the bigots came out of the woodwork to say, oh, no, you can't. No, that's too controversial. I know. It's almost 1946, you know. So obviously he's he's trying to affirm that Mormonism is Christianity. He's very offended. If you disagree with that, then you're a bigot. Um, well, I guess I'm a bigot because I, I very much disagree with that. It's not Christian. Uh, and then and then he he says, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and that I'm saved by by grace. And you you hear that and you say, well, that that sounds Christian. So. Just simply because it, it, it's it's enigma that Hank Hanegraaff would join the the Greek Orthodox Church and then still say all the right things and and you see this happen all the time with Mormons they will say the right things to you and you start digging a little bit deeper and you start saying well yeah but your church teaches this um, you know your church uh, teaches that you can become a god and you start holding them to the organization that they are identifying themselves with and then it becomes problematic and you, you find that the two are completely incompatible, that they're contradictory and that they, 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 they can't be reconciled. And so we hear a lot of people saying that Greek Orthodoxy is not monolithic, which is to say that you, you can't put everybody in the same basket. You can't paint them with a, with a broad brush. It's not monolithic. There's different versions. There's different branches of Greek Orthodox or Orthodoxy, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. 
but the problem that I'm having, Carlos, and you can you can comment on this, is that that point is irrelevant because I can't find any Greek Orthodox organization, institution, branch, whatever you want to call it. I can't find any that hold to the doctrine of justification by faith alone, or sola scriptura, or or substitutionary atonement. And so, if if they're not holding to the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it doesn't matter if there's ten different versions of the same heretical group. There's different branches of Mormonism. Some Mormon some Mormon groups still believe that you can have multiple wives. Other Mormon groups deny that. Some uh, that that. Uh, stupid show on TLC a couple of years ago, Sister Wives, where this guy was a polygamist. He was Mormon, and a lot of Mormon branches, uh, a lot of Mormons came out against that show because it showed them in a in a negative light. So, my my thinking is okay. So it's not monolithic, but I don't I don't know of any group that holds to these things. So, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if there's just different groups of the same heresy. Uh, do you you have anything to, to add to that or, or comment on? Yeah. Um, so the uh, the issue to me this 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 is a little bit more difficult because I did not know that Hankanagraph had made that, you know, that statement. And so but yeah, it's a similar problem to what uh, Glenn Beck is doing. It doesn't really matter what you believe. If your institution is antichrist or is not, it's against script. It 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 rejects the the biblical gospel. Uh, primary issues of the Bible, such as salvation and 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 the doctrines of God and salvation and man, um, then you are a walking contradiction. You can't have it both ways. You can't call yourself a Mormon and say that you're Christian because Mormons deny the the gospel, the biblical right. gospel. Let me uh, let me jump in here because you said it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, I think you meant to say it doesn't matter what you profess to believe. If uh, no, my point was yeah. My, my to be clear, my point was not that. Of course, it matters what you believe, but the point is that you can call yourself a a a Mormon and say that you're Christian and claim that you believe in the gospel but that doesn't mean that just because you believe that does not mean that that does not validate the Mormon church you do okay. not speak for you do not speak for the Mormon church the Mormon right. church has its uh has its historic documents and it has its living prophets or whatever which is that itself is a contradiction uh is against scripture but um they Hank Hanograph does not define Greek orthodoxy. He doesn't get to do that. And so he can claim to be uh, a Christian who believes in the uh, the biblical gospel <clears throat> all he wants. But by joining an, an, an anti-Christian institution that does not affirm the biblical gospel by by all evidences, as, as far as we're able to tell, and historically that, it, that has been the case, they have more in common with Roman Catholicism than they do with Protestants. Uh, not to say that they're identical because they're not, but um, this is a this is not something that is possible. Hank Hankanagraph right now is a walking contradiction because he's joining an institution that claims uh, that that does not that actually attacks the doctrine of sola scriptura. They don't they don't hold to it. And we asked we also we were trying to get Owen Pond to come onto the show and 
but you were at least able to ask, he couldn't make it but you were you you were able to ask him if if there's any uh branch of uh, or or flavor of orthodoxy eastern orthodoxy that he's familiar with that holds to a biblical gospel and he said no it, they're all pretty much works based and so that, that there's a huge problem with uh what hand canograph is doing because and and I've had discussions with prior discussions with uh, Tim Kaufman and uh, with respect to Keller and I remember we were discussing Eastern Orthodoxy at one point and they also uh, from what he was telling me that they they deny the doctrine of original sin uh, which uh, which uh, which uh, Hank Kennegraff was affirming he deliberately affirmed in the in the statement that he made so you can't have your cake and eat it uh, there's no way it, it's just you are you are walk. You not only is Hank Canegraaff, his position as the Bible answer man, as a teacher of the church, who call, he's he's put himself on a platform, and is recognized as a teacher of the church, um, that he is now becoming an enabler, a validator of a Christian cult of a false, uh, uh, a church that is not Christian, and so the problem is now that. He is, he he can he can claim to believe the truth all he wants, but what he's doing is completely out of line with what the Bible uh, 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 commands us to do, and so he's in a very serious pro he has a very serious problem, and in doing so he's he's misleading people and he's deceiving them into making them think that this uh, <clears throat> that this. Uh, Greek that the Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox uh, tradition is sound when it's not. Yes, and, let me let yeah. me jump in there because that is exactly what he's doing. And we oftentimes th this is what everybody needs to get. It is very common for cults and heretical groups to redefine their terms. And I, I recently put up a post, uh, just a little. Uh, thing on the, the Bible Thumping Wingnut Facebook page and I just basically made the comment that cults will try to redefine your terms and not tell you about it. That that happens every single time. And so what we see is that guys like Glenn Beck who are Mormon are trying to redefine Christianity. They're trying to redefine what it means to be a Christian so that it encompasses Mormonism. And he's he's very upset. He's hurt. You know, he, he has hurt feelings, guys, because we're not willing to affirm him as a Christian. Well, no, I'm not. I, I mean, you know, not going to be bent into thinking, you know, that, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Because at the end of the day, that's not really what my ultimate goal is. I mean, yeah, it sucks that he got his feelings hurt. Okay, well, that's fine. But... This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of, of heaven or hell. And so what I think is happening is that Hank Hanegraaff is redefining or is trying to redefine Christianity. He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to redefine Christianity that includes Greek Orthodoxy. Because, you know, people, um, people want to say, you know, that, that Greek Orthodoxy is not monolithic. And sort of, you know, you can't paint it with a broad brush. Well, okay, um, has Hank Hanegraaff come out 
against any any versions of Greek Orthodoxy that, that he would deem heretical? No, he includes all of them. So he's painting Greek Orthodoxy with a broad brush as Christian. And he's, he's doing the same thing with Roman Catholicism. So Carlos, let me go ahead and play another clip because in, in this clip, um, uh, let me see if I got the right one, but I believe that this clip is a clip of somebody who, uh, let, let me see if I can, uh, Pull up the question. Yeah, Somebody's um, at, yeah, yeah. While you look for that, um, I was just gonna say that this this just made me kind of realize that the way this has been framed is a little bit off from what I can tell because uh, I don't think it's that I don't think the problem is that Hank Canagraph is trying to redefine Christianity to include Greek Orthodoxy or Orthodoxy in general. I think the problem is that he's trying to redefine Orthodoxy to make them Christian by virtue of the fact that he is claiming to hold to the uh, the Protestant understanding of these doctrines when they don't. And so this is a very dangerous situation. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we can talk about it more after you play the clip. Yeah, so I, I believe that this this clip is, a, is it's a, a clip of somebody who is asking about uh, leaving the Catholic Church to join the Greek Orthodox Church, and uh, and that's uh, pretty much the the conversation that takes place. So let me go ahead and play it. But but I think before I talk about Roman Catholicism at all, and and, and I haven't done this um, as often as I should, but I, I ought to underscore the fact that some of the finest apologists in the Christian faith are Roman Catholic. I think about. Uh, Dr. J. Richards or Dr. Frank Beckwith, uh, many others immediately come to mind. Uh, the list could take the rest of the program. But these are fine, fine uh, men in terms of life and in terms of, of being genuine believers and defenders of the faith. The other thing I think that's important to recognize is that Roman Catholicism, like Orthodoxy, is not monolithic. And I, I think that is often lost in the discussion about either one of them. And of course, you could say that about Lutherans as well. I mean, you have the Missouri Synod Lutherans, you have the ELS, ELC. Uh, there are many varieties of Lutherans, and uh, there are many varieties of Reformed. I personally grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. And, and given that there are certain differences that we keep in mind, uh, what I have continued to forward on the broadcast is not uh, meant to be demeaning. It is meant to simply uh, forthrightly communicate major differences, and you mentioned one of them. Uh, I don't think that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra uh, that uh, he's infallible. Uh, many Catholics do, uh, and uh, you know when the Pope spoke. Uh, from St. Peter's chair and, 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 and defined the Immaculate Conception, uh, Orthodox people, of course, recoiled from that. Uh, I don't hold to purgatory. But I also think that it is wise for us to be charitable. In other words, Jesus said, you know, before we look at the speck in someone else's eye, let's look at the beam in our own eye. And And, and you think about Evangelical Christians, wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord, many 
of whom are dear friends of mine, uh, they will hold that there's going to be a millennial temple and Jesus is going to preside over that temple and and the sacrifices that he presides over are going to be efficacious for ceremonial uncleanness. Well, by logical extension, that seems to me to deny the sufficiency of Christ's atonement on the cross. But I think it would be less than charitable to draw everything out to its logical uh, logical uh, extension. And, and, and so I, I think in these discussions there has to be you know, light instead of heat. There has to be a collegiality that oftentimes is missing. And I will say, to the extent that I have not been humble and contrite in my own remarks, I would seek forgiveness as well. So what's the bottom line for me? The bottom line for me is that the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, this is not a unique statement, it's something that I have said for many, many years, I think it is a true church. I think it has significant error, which of course, uh, as I just mentioned, could be could be said about other bodies of believers. But we also have to remember the incredible work that the Roman Catholic Church has done on common cause issues like abortion. Uh, thank God for their unfailing stand in this regard. So if I were talking to your wife, first of all, I'd do it with gentleness and with respect. I wouldn't force anything upon your wife, but if you have the kind of relationship that my wife and I enjoy, we can talk about these things. And uh, I think the big thing you want to get straight in your conversation is that you're on the same page when it comes to essentials. Now, when I just made my statement at the beginning of the broadcast, that's what I attempted to do. Uh, I uh, attempted to talk about essentials like the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, original sin, uh, the canon and the church, the trinity and the resurrection, the incarnation and the fact that we are, as Paul puts it, new creations in Christ, and then uh, the fact that Jesus Christ will come again. How the details unfold, there are discussions about that amongst Christians, but but that's something we can debate vigorously. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, that was... That was pretty dumbfounding. Um, right, right. So um, this was a caller who was calling in asking about uh, basically the situation was he was think he he was wanting to leave the Catholic Church to go to Greek Orthodoxy, but his wife wasn't convinced against uh, wasn't convinced and was having uh, I guess issues of you know she she believed in papal infallibility and stuff like that and so she wasn't convinced and so this guy was calling to get advice on leaving the catholic church to go go to greek orthodoxy now was there any attempt to warn this individual well hank hanegraaff is painting greek orthodoxy with a broad brush and affirming all of it and uh, and so this is the 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 problem that I have with Hank Hanegraaff, and and it gets me angry because as a as someone who has come out of the Roman Catholic faith, someone who is is still has a lot of family members who are in Roman Catholicism, 
I despise the system that is Roman Catholic. I despise it. I hate it because it is going to lead many, many, many people straight to hell. It's it's a false antichrist system. As I've I've come out of it, I I actually and we're hoping to do some podcasts on eschatology in the future with uh, with Tim Kaufman. I believe. Uh, I hold to what the reformers held and, and believe that the, the papacy is antichrist. And we'll explain that in a future episode. But, folks, I mean, th this is a matter of life and death. And so here we have Hank Hanegraaff saying some some very contradictory things. So he, he is saying the right things to his to the people that are... are calling him out to the people that are criticizing him. And we see we see uh, Tim Keller did the same thing. We, we pointed this out in one of our episodes, is that Tim Keller, in front of one group, affirms that uh, Adam and Eve were literal, and then in front of another group, affirms that, that they weren't. And so, Carlos, what, you were, you were kind of throwing out some comments throughout that. What, what are your thoughts? Well, that, I remember actually remember listening to the last part of that clip on James White's podcast, but it, it's funny because I forgot about it, and he actually just proved my point. the The point that I was making earlier that we've made in on previous shows is that if you hold to mere Christianity, then you're going to include Roman Catholicism, and by extension, uh, in in probably most cases, uh, Orthodoxy as well. And so this is an absolute total mess. He is all over the place. And at first I was thinking like, okay, well, you know, he's, he's trying to have his cake and eat it because he made a, a profession. A, he made a profession of, of, of faith that was very clearly Protestant. And now he says, and, and this is one thing that James White was calling out or he was criticizing Hank for because he said that no, that that that's not true. He used to, he's had James White on the show, debating against Roman Catholics or or, the, you know, giving presentations about how Roman Catholicism is a false church, because it's based on a false, uh, it has false teaching, on the gospel and on primary issues. And so, um, he is a total mess. I mean, to say that the Roman Catholic Church is a true institution is a complete revolt against you might as well give the pope an apology and apologize on behalf of the entire protestant reformation that is unbelievable for him to to say that and and to try to hold to it's just so ironic it's like where do you even start with this guy because he's trying to affirm a protestant understanding of these doctrines and yet he is claiming that the roman catholic church is a true institution and yet ironic well deliberately I think left out the doctrine of justification by faith alone because that would obviously point out why we are not uh, in line with each other why we are not why the Roman Catholic Church is not a biblical church or a sound institution and so it's just unbelievable and for him to commend the Roman Catholic Church for for uh, the the abortion work that they've done it's just so funny how it's like just you're just blowing smoke and mirrors, you know. It's like it's unbelievable how you're gonna say that and just sort of overlook the fact that like, okay, well, the pedophilia. I mean, what about the pedophilia? What about all the 
the homosexuality that's rampant among priests and the, and the pedophile rings. I mean, there's pedophile rings that that involve like Roman Catholic priests and all this kind of stuff. The, the level of corruption is is just unspeakable. And that is why the Protestant reformers and Protestants historically have always and unanimously pointed the finger at the papacy as the Antichrist. The papacy is the seat of Satan. And so why do we say that? Because, again, they have formally and officially denounced the biblical gospel of justification by faith alone, that we are not justified by works, but by faith alone in Christ alone. And therefore, they anathematize the reformers and their gospel. And so they have, they have made themselves anathema in doing so. And so this is just a, a complete mess. Like the, People need to stay away from him. People, especially people who don't have a, a, a firm understanding of the history behind this, about the history between Protestantism and Catholicism and Orthodoxy. A lot of people are not aware about Orthodoxy, but really, um, he is extremely volatile. I mean, this guy is just all over the map, and it is it, it, people really need to keep this in mind because um, I, originally I was thinking, okay, well, you know, he's just he's making a Protestant affirmation of of these doctrines of the gospel and the stuff and of salvation but then you you can't do that and call the Roman Catholic Church a Christian in a true church and there and there's you there's the issue because now you have a problem where he's trying to include orthodoxy and all of these you know in the Roman Catholic Church but but the issue becomes now that he's not ignorant he is not ignorant of these things he has no excuse He's been the Bible answer man for, for how many decades? I mean, for decades, I'm sure. And he has a apologetics ministry dedicated to, to critiquing cults and, and false religions from a biblical perspective. And that is why he also used to formally denounce the, the Orthodox Church as a cult, which J.D. JD Hall has done a very good job of pointing that out. So we recommend that you check out J.D. Hall's episodes and his articles because he's pointed that out. And of course, after they pointed that out, then uh, they took it down. You know, the Christian Research Institute took it down from their website. But now he's trying to to claim that he still has a Protestant understanding of these doctrines, and he and he's joining the church that he used to denounce as a as a cult. That is very clearly showing you that you cannot have it both ways. And it's also it's why Rob Rob Dreher, the the author of the Benedict Option, who was a Roman Catholic, joined. The, the Orthodox Church and had no you know like it like it was basically like it wasn't that much of a difference the, you know that that shows you very clearly that he is a walking contradiction and he needs to be denounced for all practical purposes as an apostate because he can claim whatever he wants again he can claim whatever he wants to believe and maybe he does you know I don't know how he does it because you you can't you you just can't have it both ways well, let me, uh, yeah, let, let me jump in here. <laughs> uh, I love that you just went on a rant. First of all, let me, uh, let me let our listeners know that Joseph is, uh, is now in the house. I know that he, uh, he got off work late, so that was, uh, that was the reason that he couldn't um, join us earlier. But let me uh, let Joseph just say hello. How's it going, everyone? Hey, man, are you, uh, are you tired or what? Only a little. I don't, okay. I don't, I'm too tired. Well, feel free to jump in. Uh, Carlos just went on a beautiful, beautiful 
rant. So, I'm very, and I'm also very glad to see that you're growing out the beard again. It looks, it looks good on you, brother. Yeah, thanks. No, it'll, it'll. It, I believe it's here to stay this time. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a. I'm actually. A, I feel bad about that. I'm actually a poser because on my Facebook profile, I have the picture of of me with a beard that I grew out while I was on maternity leave because I miss it so much. <laughs> but for my job, I can't. I can't actually have a beard. I can have a mustache, but and it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look good on me so i gotta uh, yeah, do the full beard thing and and uh, every every on my days off like i always grow it out and then when i go back to work i have to uh, i have to shave it so uh yeah but all right so carlos uh, good job on that rant um i'm really glad to hear all, all of the things that you said because uh, one of the things that i wanted to point out is that hank continually says that the roman catholics Whole, and he would include uh, Greek Orthodoxy, obviously, hold to the essentials, right? So what is he saying when, it, when he affirms them as Christians and he says that they hold to the essentials, but he knows very well that they differ on the doctrine of justification? Obviously, yeah. he, doesn't, he, he does not consider the doctrine of justification by faith alone an essential, which just boggles the no mind. Sense. Yeah, because the doctrine of justification by faith alone was, uh, I mean, so essential to the Protestant Reformation. Basically, that doctrine is saying it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are saved. And so if you deviate from that, if you go, like, the word alone is is super important. It's not by, by, uh, by works. And so knowing that the Roman Catholic Church holds to a doctrine of justification by faith and works and Greek Orthodoxy holds to, uh, you know, salvation by, by grace and works and faith and works. And obviously he's, he's rejecting sola fide. He's rejecting it as I'm, – I'm submitting that he's rejecting it as true because in one sense, you know, from what we read earlier, it sounds Christian. It sounds like, like he's – like he's affirming it, but then he just seemingly throws it out the window to affirm Roman Catholicism. And again, Carlos, you, you hit the nail on the head. He is not ignorant. This is not somebody off the street who's just confused or somebody who's who's a recent convert and is just getting their you know their theology from this and that and, and everywhere else. This is a guy who has an organ who has a a ministry dedicated to, to Christian apologetics, and we we've seen in the past that he's he's uh you know like you said uh, the, the James White pointed out that uh, he's not always held to this position that he used to hold to the Protestant position and now he's he's just flip flopping uh, yeah like a, can... like a like a dirty politician yeah. so let me look, Carlos let me uh, and Joseph uh, let me go ahead and play this last clip because. This last clip, uh, and James White played this one as well on his on his uh, podcast. But there was a caller who called in and basically challenged him on this and said, "Hank, uh, Christians and Catholics don't hold to the same uh, set of essentials." So let me go ahead and play this. Well, let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Jeff. He's listening in Abilene, Texas, Sirius XM one thirty one. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Hank. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. 
Thank you. Well, I wanted to thank you for your ministry. You're a very, uh, very studied, learned man in Scripture, and uh, I want to first start by saying you are a real blessing to a large number of people around the around the world. Um, Hank, there's something that um, I tend to notice when listening that you maintain that Protestants and Catholics uh, hold to the essentials um, of our faith. But, Hank, that's not true. Catholics do not hold to the core essentials of our faith. In fact, they do not ascribe to sola fide. And so for for that purpose, I don't think that we can call the Catholic Church um, a Christian church, at least not in its orthodoxy. And so when we say things like um, the Catholic Church, uh, while they may differ on certain non-essential issues, they do differ on essential issues. Well, uh, let, let me simply say I appreciate your call. I've often defined the Roman Catholic position as best I know how with respect to sola fide. Um, the Roman Catholic Church does not hold to a crass system of works righteousness. They, they believe that we are saved by God's grace through faith. They believe that the faith are infused with works and those works are meritorious. Uh, so this is not a crass system of works righteousness. We may disagree uh, with, with, with Rome on, on that position uh, when you get to the minutiae of how they define uh, faith and, and, and how they r- render the distinction between faith and works. But this has always been uh, sort of a debate that Western Christians have had. Uh, th- that Reformation debate in the West raised the question in the Orthodox East, and I, I think this is uh, something that most people don't know. Uh, in, in the Orthodox East, they were they were raising the question: Why is there a polarization between faith and works? Uh, we we don't know what that's all about, because it had been settled since the Apostolic era that salvation was always granted to us by the mercy of God granted to those who followed Jesus Christ. This was the mercy of God. They're cooperating. Their position is such that they cooperate with God's grace. Well, what can a dead man cooperate with? That's my position. Well, what I'm pointing out, though, is something different. I'm saying in the East, an opposition of faith versus works was unprecedented. In the East, they believe that salvation comes through faith in Christ who fulfills the law. They believe that true faith is not just a decision, it is a way of life. They believe what the scripture teaches. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone, which is to say, we cannot add anything to what Christ has done. Faith by itself, however, if it does not have works, the point is, as James puts it, is dead. So we, we, we are not talking about uh, the idea that somehow or other we can do what Christ did. However, we are talking about the fact that we need to participate in an active faith because if we don't, we're demonstrating that the faith that we have is not a real faith. 
Now, again, there is a difference between Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox on this position, but I'm out of time for this edition of Bible Instrument Man Broadcast. We'll be back here tomorrow. Hold on. Let me, let me throw something in there. The, the, uh, so but in the last couple of weeks, I, I've debated uh, two Roman Catholics at work. Um, one of the, one of the, and one of our, the first time I spoke with you um, on here, one of the things we talked about is, is, um, you know, can you lose your salvation and, and how that works out or perseverance, right? Um, the, 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 the unfortunate thing is that it, if you can lose your, your salvation, you're automatically in a works-based system. You, you've, you've already forfeited by faith alone. Um, if you can, if you can cause yourself to lose your salvation, you're, you're in a workspace system. So that's one of, that's one of their core teachings, uh, is that, uh, not only that, you know, going through the, the Catholic catechism that I had purchased to, to look at, uh, their view on the sacraments from their point of view, baptism is how you enter the life of faith, uh, where Paul says that it comes by hearing. So there's, they're, they're, they're completely, um, diametrically opposed to it being by faith alone in so much that if you do the wrong works um if you if you sin enough uh you can lose your salvation completely ignoring the other part of james they love to talk about the part of james where faith without works is dead and they forget about the part of james where it says if you break one commandment you're in the weight of all of them so if you steal you're like an adulterer or murderer he, he just tried to play verbal judo and shift the conversation so he can say his piece but not actually address uh, the real difference in um, the Christian faith and the Roman Catholic apostasy. I, I am very grateful for uh, Jeff. But I, what, is that, was that his name? I'm very grateful because he pointed out the issue very clearly to him. This kind of reminds me when uh, Oprah Oprah had a show about, you know, she had some mystic on or and then this lady jumps up and she starts saying, well, what about Jesus? You know, like you're you're saying that all these roads lead to God. I mean, you say that, but the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. And so it's kind of like he forced him to take a position. And Hank tried as much as possible to dodge the actual question. First, he said, well, yeah, they. He gave a correct view of the, the of, of understanding of like the Roman Catholic view is that they believe that we are initially well the the Roman Catholic Church teaches that you are initially wiped clean of your original sin through baptism and then you are infused with grace to perform you know uh, good works but then the problem becomes that as you sin you lose that state of grace and you therefore have to rip uh, you know, perform the sacraments in order to, to replace your right standing with God. And so they don't deny that we're saved by grace. They affirm that. But the problem is that you you have to maintain your own salvation through the sacramental system. And it's funny because he uh, Hank was saying that um, it's not a crass uh, works righteousness system. That, okay, it's worse. It's a million times worse because it's touting itself as Christianity when it's not. It's completely antichrist. It takes everything that the Bible says and it twists and perverts it into a sacramental system of self-righteousness ultimately. And so that's 10 times worse than, than the most crass system of works righteousness that, that, I can, that you can ever imagine. That's exactly the problem with Rome. And so he is being extremely dishonest. And... 
I really hope that God grants him a stern, fierce rebuke because he is in he is leading so many astray. He is just volatile. He's just extreme. He's in a very bad place and he's a very volatile position because you cannot you cannot logically maintain the the the, the position that Hank Canograph is taking unless you are insane. It's not going to last long. It, th there's no way that you can claim this without being utterly dishonest or hypocritical or insane. So, you know, I, I can, you know, we, we grew up Catholic. I don't know uh, if Joseph, you grew up Catholic, but Tim and I grew up Catholic. And so, you know, I share a lot of the sentiments that, that Tim has about people who lead you to Rome or to, or who give you a, a, a misleading deceiving understanding of Rome as a as a true church is just it is a is it is a foul lie of the devil himself I second that Carlos let me uh, let me let me just ask you this question because if you listen to the tone with which we are tackling this this is very different from Todd Friel uh, I think I said his name right Todd Friel and um, and uh, I, I would even say James White and, you know, Todd Friel said, you know, that we need to be charitable. I don't know if I did that right. <laughs> you know how Todd Friel talks, uh, that, that we need to be charitable with him and that we need to be loving and uh, gracious and, and we're concerned for him. And, yes, I get that. And, yeah, and some, let's some deal would with say, that. Some would say that, that we're not speaking with enough grace. But here's – Here's the problem that I have with that. Again, I just want to go back to those people that Hank Hanegraaff mentioned by name who are giving money to his ministry because they believe that he is the Bible answer man and they believe that he is he is standing on the word of God when in fact he's not and he's compromising and he's deviating from the, the Bible. I want to go back to those people because that's who I'm chiefly concerned about in this whole situation this whole scenario I believe that Hank is deceived himself I believe that he is like you said I mean you'd have to be it's just it's mind-boggling to to hear how how he's holding a contradiction and he's not ignorant of Roman Catholicism he's not he's dealt with it in the past he's been in a teaching ministry for years uh, he, he's been president of CRI for I don't know how many years, but it's been years, decades. He's not ignorant of Roman Catholicism. He's not ignorant of the Reformers. He's not ignorant of, of the doctrines of uh, the five solos of the Protestant Reformation. He's not ignorant of any of these things. And yeah. he, is, he is actively and willfully leading people astray. And so if you are not hearing a lot of sympathy or compassion in, in my voice with regards to Hank Hanegraaff, it's, it's quite frankly because I'm angry with what he's doing and yes I want to be concerned but I'm concerned for the thousands of people that maybe don't have a pastor or a church to attend or maybe don't even have a pastor who has a backbone and is going to warn them away from Roman Catholicism and I'm concerned for those people that's my chief concern in all of this because as it says that those who teach will be held to a stricter judgment. Yeah, I'm concerned about Hank Hanegraaff's salvation, 
But when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatian church, he anathematized the, the Judaizers. He anathematized them. He cursed them. He damned them. And his chief concern was to the congregation. His chief concern was to, the, to, to those who were being led astray. When Paul opposed Peter to his face, and we're going to read, read a, a little bit about that. When Paul opposed Peter to his face, he, he wasn't just overcome with, you know, I need to, I, I, you know, Peter, I'm so concerned about you. His chief concern was those who Peter was leading astray. Well, and, and just to clarify, his situation is not the same. Because what happened with Peter is that he caved under pressure. He did not actually believe what the Judaizers taught, he, and he caved under pressure. Hank Hanegraaff is under no pressure to, to believe any of these things. He is doing it willfully, and he is joining the church out of his own will, and, uh, and, and he is walking out, for all practical purposes, of the Christian faith. And so I wanted to touch on a few things there, because you what you said about him being a teacher, being held under stricter judgment, that's exactly right. This is exactly why... We cannot afford to be charitable or to be nice to Hank Hanegraaff uh, uh, it, regarding the situation because he has put himself in a position of influence and teaching uh, uh, a te as a teacher of the church that does not afford him charity. We cannot grant him charity because he is a teacher and he, is, he has decades of, 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 of ministry behind his back. And so what needs to happen, well, you know, something is going to happen because he cannot stay in this position. He just cannot. And for, for what he's doing, he's, he is trying to affirm the Protestant understanding of salvation and of, and of, and of God and the, 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 what that he talked about in that letter or in that post that he made. And at the same time, he is denying everything that he is claiming to hold to by joining this institution and by validating the Church of Rome as a true church. And, and here's the other thing. When he was addressing Jeff's question, he said that, um, that, the, that the, 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 in the West, you know, why, why was there such an issue in the West? The, the, there was this issue where they, they taught infused righteousness, and then he actually didn't really bother. He didn't actually answer the question about Roman Catholicism. He actually just sort of moved on to the Eastern view. And he kind of answered it indirectly because he said, well, in the East, faith and works are, have never been a problem. This has never been an issue. And it's like, well, you just proved our point. And that is exactly why the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, is also an apostate institution. Because for you to not recognize the dichotomy between faith and works that the Bible so clearly makes and distinguishes, like Paul's letters in Ephesians and in Romans, where he says that we are saved by faith and not of works, and, and, and if you don't make those careful distinctions that the Reformation brought to light and that true Christians have always held to, then you are in an institution that is not Christian. It is Antichrist, and it is apostate for all practical purposes. He is doing a total disservice, and this is what people need to be doing. I mean, what, how we should be responding as Christians. Charitability is not going to help him, and it's not going to help the people that are being deceived and misled by by the mess of a of a position that he has placed himself under, it's not going to help anybody. Yeah, and let me, let me point out that when I called uh, his show, I asked him about the issue of do the the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and then I, I referenced this guy Jeff, and I said, you know, yesterday you had a 
a guy on here who I forgot what I said, but I referenced this call and I referenced Roman Catholicism and uh, that he affirmed it as a true church. And at that point, he cut me off and uh, he said, he said, I've been saying this for years. OK, well, so there you go. Um, this isn't, you know, this this isn't anything that that just recently came up. But let me uh, let me ask you this. So the, the other thing is uh, people might say that we are being divisive, that we are being schismatics. And uh, John Robbins was accused of being a schismatic. And I just want to read his response to a, a man by the name of Wallace, uh, Dr. Peter Wallace, who basically accused John Robbins, who was very polemical. And that's why a lot of people don't like the Trinity Foundation, because the Trinity Foundation has, I think, rightly called out uh, people in the past for uh, believing things that are that are wrong. I mean, that was one of the reasons that John Robbins was not liked by a lot of people. And Carlos and I have gone to bat for the Trinity Foundation because you know we can we can see past that and appreciate what what Robbins contributed. But Robbins uh, writes concerning uh, this this guy, uh, Reverend Dr. Peter Wallace. He says, apparently Wallace does not know that a schismatic is someone who causes division by teaching doctrine contrary to scripture. Quote, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. End quote. Romans 16, 17. It is those who cause divisions and offenses by teaching contrary to biblical doctrine, not those who are offended by the false teaching who are the schismatics. Many Presbyterian elders, including Wallace, get the meaning meaning of the word schismatic precisely backwards. And I would submit that anybody who wants to say that we are being divisive because we are offended by this is getting the the meaning of the word schismatic precisely backwards. Um, did you guys uh, did you guys have anything else to say? Because what I want to do is I want to read through why heretics win battles. But really quick, let me go because because Carlos is super passionate about this, and I don't know if, if I'll get a chance if he goes before me. Go ahead. Um, no, uh, <clears throat> just a couple of things. Like one, um, I think we should be as charitable as um, as the Old Testament says to be with people who lead people astray from God. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So so and so you know, it's the, the scripture is very very explicit. That even if it's a, a friend, it's if, as if your own flesh, um, you know, your your father, your mother, it doesn't matter who the person is or how they're related to you. God comes primarily first foremost, and um, and you'd be willing to to sever them off from life at that point, at least in the Old Testament. So, um, I I don't think we should be um, more charitable uh, than God has told us to be. Um, I don't think that's charity anymore. I think that's sin. Um, and so, and so, me, me, I haven't. So, just to address uh, uh, what Carlos said earlier, I, I didn't come from a Roman Catholic background. Um, I, I, I end up spending a lot of time around people who who are Roman Catholic, and so that's one of the ways I've learned more about it. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a false gospel. It leads people astray. Um, and, it, and here's the thing: if this guy's, this guy's ministry has been has so far reached people that it needs to be very clear and very concise and very and, and, and break broken down how um, wrong he is 
because if we're just going to try to be, um, I, don't, I hate the word charitable at this point because I think it's a horrible abuse of the word. I don't think you're giving anybody charity by letting them lead people astray. I, exactly. Um, and, and so the, the the charitable thing to do here for all is to is to make it very clear, make it as known as possible that he that he's a false teacher. He's leading people astray, and he is uh, he's an as an in opposition to Christ. He is, he is a form of antichrist, at least as, as John uses the word. Um, and so the the the, the problem here is that we want to. Um, the, with the idea of charity, is that something we apply to uh, brothers in the faith, not somebody that that is um, that has sacrificed the gospel and and was anathematized, accursed. Um, nobody who is um, of God and nobody who's a brother in in Christ is accursed. And so we have to we we can't pretend like he's one of us and then say we should give him charity because he's not. Um, we should love him, but in loving him, we should expose him. Exactly. Exactly. That, that was and, well put. Yeah, definitely. Uh, man, I'm glad you're here. And I wanna, uh, I wanna, I wanna capitalize on what you said about the Old Testament, you know, because they would, they would stone false prophets to death. And for in case, in case there's people out there who think that the New Testament somehow lightened the standards, the the New Testament makes them even worse, even more severe, because. What, what, what we've been alluding to in Galatians 1, uh, 6 through 9, I want to read it real quick. It says, I marvel that you are turning, turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, that word accursed is anathema. That word anathema means that you are definitively and eternally excluded from salvation. You are eternally, definitively, and finally condemned. There is no hope for you. And so the New Testament is even more severe in this respect. And if you are doing what Hank Hanegraaff is doing or trying to do, then he needs to be exposed, he needs to be called out, and people need to really and seriously sharply draw the line because you cannot be on both sides of the fence on this issue. It is impossible. And so um, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I was looking through the, the, his church's website, his Greek Orthodox Church website. It's St. Nectarios Church, uh, Greek Orthodox Metropolis of Atlanta. I, I think this is the right one. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and... I was looking for some kind of qualification or, or their statement of faith, and I found very little. This is what I found. Uh, it says, become a member of St. Nectarios Parish. For more information, you know, call. Uh, they mail you a packet, and then it says, uh, a member in good standing, as defined in our bylaws, is one who, number one, is 18 years of age or older. Number two, was baptized according to the rites of the Orthodox Church, or was received into the Orthodox Church through chrismation. Uh, three, lives according to the faith and the canons of the church and has signed a stewardship pledge card. Four, abides by the special regulations and uniform parish regulations of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America and local parish bylaws. So, I mean, that's very vague, and it's like you have to kind of look at what those documents actually say, but I want to read something else that I found. Uh, 
from I don't know if this is the same uh, denomination or, or orthodox uh, 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 type of flavor that they hold to but this is a, this is from the Orthodox Church in America uh, it's a mission uh, wait let me see I, I found that they had a statement here about chrismation that I wanted to read because Hank Hanegraaff and JD Hall points this out about Hank Hanegraaff that Hank Hanegraaff has been there for he's been attending that church for over two years and um, and this chrismation is sort of like the Roman Catholic equivalent of confirmation and even though there's some differences that they explain that um, uh, here the 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 section under chrismation says that the sacrament of chrismation also called confirmation is always done in the Orthodox Church together with baptism just as Easter has no meaning for the world without Pentecost so baptism has no meaning for the Christian without chrismation in this understanding and practice the, the Orthodox Church differs from the Roman Catholic and Protestant churches where where the two sacraments are often separated and separated and given given other interpretations than those found in traditional orthodoxy but this is this is the one I wanted to read here uh, they explain what it is uh, so it says in chrismation a person a person is given the power from on high a quote from Acts 1 through 2 the gift of the Spirit of God in order to live the new life received in baptism he is anointed just as Christ the Messiah is anointed as the anointed one of God. He becomes, as the fathers of the church dare to put it, a, a uh, quote-unquote Christ with a small c together with, Christ, with, with Jesus. Thus, through chrismation, we become a Christ, in small, a small c quotes, uh, a son of God, a person upon whom the Holy Spirit dwells, a person in whom the Holy Spirit lives and acts, as long as we want him and cooperate with his powerful, and holy inspiration thus it is only after our chrismation that the baptismal procession is made and that we hear the epistle and the gospel of our salvation and illumination in Christ so this sounds like you're not actually saved until after your chrism you're you're confirmed or chrismated that's what it sounds like it's saying and again I don't know if, if this is from the same uh, flavor of orthodoxy but it's pretty much the same thing it's for the most part it's the same thing and this this is another thing that we need to uh, point out it doesn't matter if there's like you know Hank Hanegraaff is Hank Hanegraaff but no orthodox church as far as I'm aware as far as we're aware <clears throat> as far as we're aware holds to the biblical Protestant understanding of justification by faith alone and so for even if they were to say that, well, Hank is is saying that, you know, some 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 church that calls itself Orthodox may may hold to it or whatever. The exception is not the norm. The norm is that Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy has traditionally denied and attacked and undermined sola fide and sola scriptura. Right. Yeah, and, and let, let me let me say this. Uh, you pointed out that Hank Hanegraaff has been there for two years, and so he has been indoctrinated in this for two years. And the way that we feel about this is that his chrismation. It, so Hank is not starting his transition into this. We believe that his chrismation is the culmination of this whole process. He yeah. because with with the, this confirmation comes the process of catechizing, comes the process of of being indoctrinated, 
into this. So, so yeah, we just heard about this a couple of weeks ago. But it's not as if this just started a couple of weeks ago. So let's go ahead and read this article because we are going long on this episode. And I'm not going to break this episode up into two parts. And the reason why is because I don't want people getting a, uh, fired up during the week. And, and you know, I, <laughs> think, I think this, yeah, I think this episode needs to just all be one. All right, well, let's, let's go ahead and read this article. Uh, I've, I've put this up a number of times. I've referenced it, and I thought, this is such a good article. Uh, why don't we go ahead and read a portion of it? It's, it's titled, Why Heretics Win Battles, and it's written by the late uh, Dr. John Robbins, who was the founder of the Trinity Foundation. Uh, so, why heretics win battles? There are several reasons that heretics win battles. First, Scripture tells us that they are more clever and cunning than believers. Quote, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. End quote. Luke 16, 8. They have a way of thinking that makes them more politically astute, more street smart, more imaginative in their machinations, and more willing to act in sinful ways in order to achieve their goals. Stealing, lying, and bribery are fine, so long as they advance the kingdom. Second, Heretics introduce false ideas stealthily. Quote, but this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in. This would have been by stealth. To spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. End quote. Galatians 2, verse 4. And, quote, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. End quote. Uh, that's Jude 4. They appear to be sheep, but are not. And the ideas they teach, at least at first, appear to be true, but are not. By smooth words, they deceive many into thinking that they are Christian brothers, and the ideas they advance are biblical. Third, heretics frequently use force to persecute Christians. Force works. It silences the opposition. That is why heretics and tyrants use it. The blood of the martyrs is not the seed of the church, only the gospel is. Fourth, and most important, those who believe the truth tend to be slow to recognize error and even slower to take action necessary to defend the truth. They lack both discernment and courage. This is the crucial matter. Christians cannot help the fact that the sons of this world are more shrewd than they are and that false brethren do things subtly, surreptitiously, and corrosively. But Christians can help how they understand and respond to such a doctrinal and ecclesiastical subversion. Their lack of discernment stems from a lack of knowledge of Scripture, and their lack of courage comes from a lack of belief in the promise of Scripture. Paul as our model. We can learn a great deal from the example of the Apostle Paul in Antioch and his letter to the Galatians, for he was neither slow to recognize error nor timid in correcting it. Our failure to learn from and imitate Paul is the principal reason why heretics win battles. Paul recognized doctrinal error quickly and acted swiftly to correct it. He wrote, quote, but this, which is a problem over the preaching of the gospel, occurred because of false brethren, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, end quote. Galatians 2, 2 through 5. Paul did not put up with, quote, yield submission to, end quote, error, or those teaching error on the gospel, quote, even for an hour, end quote. He was quick to recognize error and quick to correct it so that, quote, the truth of the gospel might continue with you, end quote. While his concern was doctrinal, it was not academic, for he did not tolerate those who were teaching error in the church. He understood error, and he refused to tolerate the men who were teaching or abating error in the churches. 
Paul explained further how Christians ought to respond to those who obscure the gospel. Quote, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to man, for those who seem to be something add nothing to me. End quote. Galatians 2.6. Paul was not impressed by a person's status in the church. God is no respecter of persons, and neither was Paul. Church status, church office, educational credentials afford no immunity. In fact, the biblical rule is just the opposite. To whom much is given, much is required. The greater the office, the greater the responsibility in the churches. That is why Paul told Timothy, quote, those, meaning the elders, whom are sinning, rebuke them in the presence of all, end quote. 1 Timothy 5.20. So far we have learned three things about how we must oppose those who obscure and pervert the gospel. One, we must recognize doctrinal error as a serious sin. Two, we must not tolerate either error on the doctrine of salvation or those who teach it, even for an hour. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated or cowed by the reputations or credentials of those who teach error on the doctrine of salvation. But Paul has much more to teach about correcting doctrinal error in the churches. He continues, quote, But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, end quote. Galatians 2.11. This is Paul's fourth lesson. Not only must those who teach a false gospel be anathematized, see Galatians 1, which, uh, Carlos, you just uh, read to us. But Christians must also oppose and correct brothers who tolerate those who preach a false gospel. In Galatians 1, Paul has cur had cursed those who preach a false gospel. In chapter 2, he instructs us on how to deal with brothers who tolerate those who teach a false gospel, thus obscuring or compromising the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Peter had not preached a false gospel, but his actions abated those who did. Paul explains, Quote, for before certain men came from James, he, meaning Peter, would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. End quote. By describing Peter's and Barnabas' actions as hypocrisy, Paul indicates that Peter and Barnabas believed the gospel, but nevertheless they tolerated those who did not uh, those who did not. Tolerance of error on the doctrine of salvation is a sin. It is doubly sin for elders who are charged with the responsibility of teaching, of feeding the sheep, and of guarding the flock. Moreover, Paul opposed Peter to his face, directly and openly. Paul was Peter's friend and fellow apostle. Paul went to the root of the problem and confronted Peter directly. Paul had no misplaced personal loyalty to Peter. He did not let a false notion of friendship interfere with his responsibility to correct Peter and defend the gospel. Paul did not take aside Peter privately and suggest politely that he eat with the Gentiles. Paul opposed Peter directly to his face. Opposing error and those who tolerate it is something many Christians are loath to do. They would rather whine, can't we all just get along? To those who allow an unbiblical view of friendship to cloud their judgments have forgotten Paul's question, quote, have I then become your enemy because I tell you the truth, end quote, Galatians 4.16. Further, in Paul's manner of confronting Peter, we see the important principle that truth, the biblical doctrines, are to be defended openly, directly, and clearly. To try to defend the truth by stealth, by cleverness, by political means, is to undercut the very thing we are defending. Falsehood can be, and usually is, propagated by dishonest, uncandid, and irrational means, but 
truth cannot be. Truth must be proclaimed openly, honestly, rationally, and candidly. Paul said that he opposed Peter, quote, because he was to be blamed, end quote. This is Paul's fifth lesson for us. Paul assigned blame, and he assigned it correctly. Paul identified the apostle Peter as blameworthy. Peter's status as an apostle did not shield him from being blamed, nor from Paul's open opposition. Paul judged Peter accurately, openly, and clearly. Paul did not misunderstand Christ's words, judge not that you be not judged, as so many professing Christians do. Paul judged Peter accurately and swiftly, and he acted on his judgment. His judgment, of course, was not about a trivial matter, but about the gospel and Peter's role in obscuring it. The same zeal for the gospel that Paul displayed in Galatians 1, which compelled him to curse those who teach any other message in the churches, compelled him to judge and blame Peter for not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel in chapter 2. But Paul is not done teaching us how to handle churchmen who undermine the gospel. He wrote, quote, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, end quote. Here Paul teaches us that men who are not straightforward about the truth of the gospel are to be rebuked publicly, quote, before them all, end quote. They are not to be taken aside privately. They are not to be dealt with according to Matthew 18. Uh, For Paul understood, as many churchmen do not understand today, that procedure is irrelevant to situations in which the gospel is being publicly twisted and obscured. Teachers who err on the doctrine of salvation are not to be ignored, condoned, or dealt with privately. Furthermore, Paul publicly rebuked Peter the Apostle, not the lesser men who surrounded him. Uh, Quote, I said to Peter before them all, end quote, by making an example of Peter, by writing his name in scripture for all time, by addressing the Apostle, and not some elder, deacon, or ordinary layman. Paul made it perfectly clear that even the highest offices Officers in the church are subject to the gospel. A fortiori, so are all the rest. By addressing Peter, Paul acted on the principle that the greater the office, the greater the responsibility. Were Paul to rebuke Peter today, he would, of course, be accused of of making a, quote, personal attack on Peter. A pastor in good standing in the church and Paul would have been censored by some seminary faculty or church court for using intemperate language as well. Such critics are not accustomed to rigorous thinking, cannot differentiate between personal attack and and rebuking a specific person for obscuring the gospel. Paul's concern was wholly doctrinal. He had no personal animus against Peter. His doctrinal concern, his position as a Christian and and an apostle required him to confront Peter publicly. Where is Paul when we need him? Uh, and so that's that's all I'm gonna read. Um, wh- what did you guys What did you guys get from that? Well, I mean, that's largely been my position in regards to dealing with false teaching in the first place is that it just needs to be spoken about plainly, um, and it needs to not be um, treated any other way. There needs to, it, it's, it's not about courtesy; it's about truth. Um, and so, like, it's interesting because even with dead people who can't make more mistakes than they already did, if they have enough uh, backing, if they have enough people like them or have good feelings or memories about them, it's really hard to talk to people about them 
uh, without them trying to be like, well, let me find out more. I don't know enough. And then they never look it up. Right. So like C.S. Lewis is a phenomenal example of that. Um, I've had to back into that conversation over a dozen times where where I start the conversation off with, hey, if, you know, if somebody denied, you know, penal substitutionary atonement and was, you know, an inclusivist, more or less a universalist, do you think that person's a Christian? And then, no, 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 it's not. Okay, well, that person's C.S. Lewis. And, and then it's like, oh, crap, they realize that somebody they've, they've trusted. Um, you know, and you can't just, it's, it, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. If you do what the Bible says in regards to approaching error, uh, you're going to be accused of not being Christ-like. And Paul, I, I've actually almost said verbatim what he said to somebody else, or I'm sorry, what he said in that, in that, um, in that piece you wrote. I've almost said that verbatim uh, to somebody else in regards to um, if we treated things that way. If Paul, if Paul was in our church, um, then he would have, you know, he would have been told he needed to take him to a side. You know, he, what he did wasn't right. Um, and that's our culture. Our culture is a, uh, is a you know I think Bodhi Bakum put it well. We're we have an emasculated culture where you can't be a man, uh, a man of God. Um, all of the just about all of the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself, if He were to act the way He acted then, now He would be accused of not being Christ-like, and and that's where we're at. And we have to ignore that and do what's right and true, and and receive a prophet's reward. And in that way, they were accused and and spoken falsely on. The, uh, on the account of the message they had to deliver. Yeah, I'm going to read Galatians 2 real quick. Uh, the the issue with uh, Paul confronting Peter. It says, Now when Peter came to, uh, come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Take note of that. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even if we have believed in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So one thing to keep in mind is that Peter was a hypocrite in the sense that he believed the truth of the gospel, but he was he had a behavioral inconsistency by eating with the uh, the the Jews, the Judaizers, and um, was therefore denying the gospel because as as a as a Christian you are not bound to those food laws and especially not for salvation and so there he also said that he notes that the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him so the the rest of the believing Jews played the hypocrite and even Barnabas what was carried away this is why this is so dangerous because people can get very easily sucked into it especially if they're not uh, strong in the faith or if they're not discerning or if they're not if their convictions are still not that well developed through the bible and, and going to church and, and all that different stuff and so um this is exactly why it is important to confront hank hanegraaff with this error and, and expose him for what he's doing for for practically speaking uh he is uh for for practical purposes he needs to be regarded as an apostate because he's trying to affirm the the orthodox church 
as a Christian church Amen. and their doctrine is not Christian and it, it does not save you because they hold to works righteousness ultimately right and Amen. so so and now keep in mind as well Peter was was compelled he was he was sort of put in a difficult position and he wavered he, he sort of caved into the pressure Hank Hanegraaff is not doing any of that stuff so there's a sense in which like he's in even he's in an even worse position that Peter was because he is doing this willingly and so I really fear for him and I, I really do fear for him he needs to he needs to stop what he's doing he needs to either get on one side of the fence and stay on there because he cannot be at both at the same time like this he, and that's exactly the problem with what what Joseph pointed out about CS Lewis and mere Christianity that is where it will lead you to it will ultimately lead you to not regarding essentials at, like, such as justification by faith and therefore including Rome and the Orthodox Church as Christian churches. Yeah, and um, have you guys noticed how whenever people are talking about Hank Hanegraaff, they sort of want to talk about who he is and what he's done? Um, you know, uh, sort of, you know, he's been in ministry for this many years and um, – Really, I'm I'm just gonna submit this. That's in light of this. I mean, status, um, credentials, none of that matters. Paul said that. He yeah. said if a, if an angel comes to you or or me myself or apostle whatever, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, with another gospel, let them be accursed. Um, so he so Paul, uh, who had the something of the highest credentials said that doesn't matter well and I wanna I wanna just conclude with this I think we've I think we've pretty much said what we needed to say but um, the going back to the the anathema of Galatians 1 where he's, where he Paul is anathematizing anybody who preaches a gospel that is contrary to what the the, the one that, that was revealed to initially to Paul so Notice there that he also says, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. Some translations uh, render it as, let him be condemned to hell. And that is why it is such a serious condemnation, because it is an eternal condemnation. And the, the point of that is that it's used in the passive, it's in, it's in the passive voice, let him be condemned. And why is that? Because the, 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 the curse or the condemnation is not coming from Paul himself. It's coming from God. Because God is the one who is going to condemn them in hell. Right. God is the one who is going to issue that, that curse. That is what a curse is. A biblical curse is that you are going to be excluded from salvation and condemned to an eternal, uh, eternal damnation and hellfire and an outpouring of God's wrath. And so that is a very serious uh, – that is the, the most – frightening verse arguing arguably in all of scripture because now the other thing to consider is that he is this is talking about a specific type of, of, of person this is somebody who is claiming to to name the name of Christ to, to 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 be somebody in the church knowingly and knowing the the the, the truth and yet perverting it as as to preach a different gospel as if there was another but there really isn't another as as Paul says and so this is talking about people who are per, putting themselves 
as teachers or as or as or as somebody who is has influence in the church as a Christian and saying something teaching a gospel that is contrary to the one that is in the Bible right yeah so so let's let's conclude with this um you know we we're disappointed that James White criticized uh JD Hall on this on this matter yep. right right Sadly. well all of that to say that um here at Semper Reformanda Radio that we are perplexed that uh, J.D. Hall and Jeff Maples have taken heat for this uh, from Christian brothers who have criticized them. And, you know, we, we really didn't get into a whole bunch of the uh, the stuff with uh, with James White and, um, and J.D. Hall because, you know, we, we don't think that it's beneficial uh, for us to speak on that. But we we wholeheartedly stand before, uh, stand behind um, pulpit and pen on, on this issue. And, you know, we, we say, if you got nukes, use them, go nuclear on this because we should not yield submission to Greek orthodoxy, even for an hour. We should not yield submission to Roman Catholicism, even for an hour. And whatever credentials you think that Hank Hanegraaff has, it doesn't matter because, uh, as, as Paul said, it adds it adds nothing. So with that, we're going to go ahead and close out this episode. I know that it's super long. Uh, we do have an email address, uh, semper.reformanda.radio at gmail.com. You can go ahead and email us uh, any, any, uh, any thoughts that you might have about this episode. And uh, with that, we'll check you next week. God bless. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at tractplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's T-R-A-C-T planet.com, coupon code B-T-W-N.